Welcome back to Two Jade Knows. Hello. Hope you guys had a good Christmas, and we hope that you have a good New Year's too. Yes, yes, that's that is coming up. We're just going to kind of sneak into 2022. Nobody make any rash moves because we don't want another 2021 all over again. Exactly. I'm, I'm, I am abandoning the new year, new me idea. Because um, I'm going to still be the same hateful bitch as always. Yeah, I don't have any. Don't want anyone to get their hopes up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't have any new year's resolutions or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me neither. Nah. Eh. It's overrated. Just not get killed. There you go. Stay safe. <laughs> Don't die. Exactly. <laughs> so, today's case, we are going to talk about the shoemaker, aka Joseph Callinger. He was a cobbler. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So, do you ever just feel like taking a 12-year-old child with you to commit murders? I mean, if I had one, I'd make them, you know, ease them for something. Damn! Drunk <laughs> kid! <laughs> no! They could fit in tiny spaces. Oh, Lord. You done thought this through. Uh, a little bit. <laughs> to be discussing today is Joseph Callinger and he was an American serial killer. He murdered three people and tortured four families all with his 12 year old 12 year old son Michael. I think I just tried to combine old and son and <laughs> just came out 12 year old. 12 year old? Anyways. Um, so Callinger was born on December 11th, 1935, as Joseph Lee Brenner III, how fancy, at the Northern Liberties Hospital in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, to Joseph Lee Brenner Jr. and his wife Judith. And in December of 1937, so when he was two, he was placed in foster care after his father had abandoned his mother. His mother was only allowed to see him once a week, and he developed separation anxiety due to this. And on October 15, 1939, he was adopted by Austrian immigrants Stephen and Anna Callinger. And it all goes downhill from here. I mean, it's already kind of sucking. Why? Yeah, I mean, but, but like an adoption type of thing is, is not always a bad thing. No, but I mean... Being placed in foster care at, like, two sucks. Yeah. And then separation anxiety from your mom that you only get to see once a week. Yeah. And I didn't, actually didn't find any information about whether his his biological mom had any contact with his adoptive parents or anything like that. So that's completely and entirely unknown. Huh. Yeah. So, adoption situations might always be terrible, but in particular, this one was horrible. <laughs> yeah. 
He was abused by both his adoptive parents so severely that at age six, he suffered a hernia inflicted by his adoptive father. Uh, some of the punishments Callinger endured included kneeling on jagged rocks, being locked inside closets, consuming excrement, committing self-injury, being burned with irons, being whipped with belts, and being starved. And then when he was eight, he was sexually assaulted by a group of neighborhood boys. Uh... And I actually found this really cool thing that the Department of Psychology from Radford University developed on Joseph Callinger. And it kind of goes into a little bit more detail about the things that happened while he was a child. Mm-hmm. So when he was five, Joseph hears the F word from some neighborhood kids. And his father beats him with a leather strap, and his mother beats him with a wooden spoon. He's grounded for a week, and during that entire week, the beatings continue, and he is never told what the word means or why he's being punished. Which would be really confusing. Like, with dogs, like, if they get away with you, you know, having an accident in the house, and then, like, you just kick them and throw them in their bed, they're not going to know why they're being punished because you didn't catch him in the act. Right. And I mean, it, it, it's hard to say if he actually said the word fuck or if he just said, what does the F word mean? You know? Right. Hmm. So it's hard to say. Um, when he was six, that's when his hernia thing happened. Um, he leaves St. Mary's Hospital after surgery to repair a hernia. And his parents tell him that the doctor also gave him surgery to keep his, quote, bird, end quote, small, and make it not work. And the word bird was used in the calendar house for penis. <laughs> it makes me think of trailer report boys. Bubbles always said that. <laughs> uh, at the same age, he was also kicked in the groin by a girl three weeks uh, prior to the surgery, and he claimed he didn't do anything to, to deserve it, but his parents punished him for that anyways. Dang, like, how are you going to be the one that gets kicked and assaulted, but then you're the one that gets in trouble for it? Yeah, it doesn't really... (laughs) I'm the victim. It doesn't really make much sense. Um, When he was eight years old, Joseph is hit in the head four times with a hammer by his mother because he wanted to go on a class trip to the zoo. Uh, He ran into the house and beat his head against walls and tables as his mother chased him with a broom. After she just hit him four times in the head. Oh my god. That's terrible. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why I'm laughing. (laughs) Uh, The sexual assaults with the neighborhood boys happened when he was eight. He was held at knife point by older boys while one performed oral sex on him. Uh, like... I don't know. That that whole scenario, like, it's not funny, but it's like, get over here, kid. I got a knife. Let me suck your dick. Yeah. That's but just, he's eight, you know? Yeah, that's true. He's eight. That's just weird. I don't understand people and how their brains work. I don't We're know. We're broken. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Pretty much up until he was eight years old, he was basically just taking all the abuse. He wasn't really 
That's terrible. Like, rebelling or trying to fight back or anything. But when he was nine, he did his first destructive act. Um, He cut up coats of his classmates because he didn't get a birthday present. Yeah. I mean, like, the one time a year you want to just be happy. And then nobody even tells you, like, happy birthday or get you a present. I'd be salty, too. So you got to chop up holes in their coats. <laughs> <Sip, sip. laughs> oh, what a nice winter jacket, Lori. Now it has holes in it. Yeah. Freeze. <laughs> when he was 11, he started stealing money from his parents to take neighborhood kids to the movies in an attempt to make friends. That's crushing. Yeah, so he was feeling quite alone at this point. Um... His parents did find out he was stealing, and he is punished by having his fingers burned on the stove. Joseph thought that the pain wasn't bad enough to stop since he had people to go to the movies with, so he continued to steal. And he ended up getting burned a total of six times. So it's like, I'm going to take this punishment because I have cool friends that like me. I don't give a shit. But they're not friends that like you. They're friends that are freeloading just so they can go to the movies and not pay for it. I love you, but I'm not burning my fingers for you. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't do that either. (laughs) Um, At 13, he cuts a hole in his wall for masturbation. He uses pictures of naked men and women as well as needing a knife nearby to achieve orgasm. Soon has to cut and stab pictures to become aroused. So things have escalated as he is going through his puberty changes. I mean, obviously, he is having sex with drywall and decapitating pictures of people just to come. Sexual dysfunction at its finest, folks. And only at age 13. Yeah. Uh, also, at age 13, um, he gets to go to a camp for two weeks. Ten days after returning from camp, he heard voices telling him to cut someone. He boarded a city bus with a knife. He saw a boy get off of the bus and led him into the woods near a stream and ordered the boy to take off his pants at knife point. Sound a little familiar? Yeah, it's all going back to his sexual assault. Right, but... He just ran off into the woods and never harmed the boy after ordering him to take off his pants. He did nothing. But he did do this three more times in the next few months. And the last victim, he reenacts what had happened to him with the older boys and puts the other boys' penis in his mouth and bites it while he holds the other boy at knife point. So it took him three different times actually gained the courage to do such thing and then took it to the extreme of biting this other kid's dick. Mm-mm. Uh, mm, nope. Nope. All the nopes. And then at age 15, this is very important, Joseph is told by God that his mission is to heal and save people through their feet. He conducts over 40,000 experiments between 1951 and 1972 due to this vision. 
So he is hearing things from God to do things in his life. Oh my gosh. Okay. So that brings us to like the next part. So as a child, he often rebelled against his teachers and his adoptive parents. He dreamed of becoming a playwright and had played the part of Ebenezer Scrooge. Uh, how convenient since we're at Christmas. Um, <laughs> in the local YWCA's performance of A Christmas Carol in the ninth grade. When Callinger was 15, he began dating a girl named Hilda Bergman, who he met at a theater, which he was allowed to visit on Saturdays. His parents told him not to see her, but he married her and had two children instead. <laughs> yep, he was just a F you to his parents, pretty much. <laughs> she later left him because of the domestic violence she suffered at his hands. Um, he was hospitalized at St. Mary's on September 4, 1957 due to severe headaches and loss of appetite, which doctors believed was a result of stress surrounding his divorce. He remarried on April 20, 1958, so not even a full year later, mm -hmm. and had five more children with his second wife. He was extremely abusive towards his family and often inflicted the same punishments on them that he had suffered from his adoptive parents. Throughout the next decade, he would spend time in and out of mental, mental, Jesus, mental institutions for amnesia, attempted suicide, and committing arson. I think we've said this before, but when it comes to kids, it really is a monkey see monkey do situation yeah like he's seeing that's how he was treated for things so that's how he's going to do that to his kids because he doesn't know any other way right right he's he grew up seeing the dysfunction in his household and not to say that he felt that that was normal but that you know that may be how discipline is doled out and punishments given that sort of thing now the beating on his wife and stuff I think that just comes from his crazy uh, that's side. Probably, yeah, that's probably just a part of, you know, everything being combined. And that's just kind of what this is out got spit out. <laughs> like, she, she was there, collateral damage type exactly. thing. Exactly. So, yeah. In 1957, he was 21. He was hospitalized. Um... Radford says that it was with a suspected brain lesion, but tests revealed only a psychopathological nervous disorder. Okay. So, it could be stress, or they could be reaching. I don't know. Yeah. I could see that. Uh, when he was 22, he set his own house on fire for amusement <laughs> and reaps the benefit of $1,600 from fire insurance. Oh, $1,600. So much money. <laughs> um, at age 23, he was committed to a state hospital for attempted suicide. Okay. At age 29, he set fire to his home again. At age 31, he set fire to his home for a third time. I just don't understand. Um, <laughs> at the age of 36, he branded his oldest daughter with hot iron for running away from home. Oh, my gosh. Uh, at the same age of 36, he was arrested for child abuse charges after three of his children went to the police station and accused their father of abusing them. 
both Callinger and his wife, which would be his second wife, said that the children had ran away and denied the abuse charges. He was found competent to stand trial after a psychological examination. He was found guilty of child abuse and sentenced to four years probation with mandatory psychiatric treatment. Wow. So, I mean, at least he was getting some help. I mean, he's already, like, carving out a path of destruction, though. You know, he's already abused one family with his first wife, and now he's he's doing the same thing. Plus all these other terrible things that he's done and been a part of in his childhood. Yeah. Well, it gets a little worse, because uh, not even two years later, when he's 38, he starts having hallucinations again. And constantly holding conversations with a disembodied head named Charlie. And receiving personal orders from God. Now, see, I wonder, like, how much of that's true, though. Because I'm not saying that people with mental disorders always see hallucinations. But you would think if they were going to be having them, they wouldn't be so many years apart. And then again, it makes you wonder, was he having all these hallucinations and issues and getting frustrated and taking that all out on his wife's wives and kids? It could be, because, I mean, I I can't imagine, like, basically being held hostage by my own body and, like, mind and things that are going in there that is unseen to the rest of the world. So, I don't think that's a far reach. Um, but two years later, one of his children, Joseph Jr., was found dead in an abandoned construction building two weeks after Callender took out a large life insurance policy on his sons. Though Callender claimed that Joseph Jr. had run away from home, the insurance company, suspecting foul play, refused to pay out the claim. Yeah, so... You know the first thought that came into my head that is really terrible to say out loud? Like, you just killed your kid for nothing? I don't know why that was the first thought that came well, to my I mean, head. Yeah, he thought he was going to get something out of that. Yeah, but that's still terrible because that was his kid. I get your thought like, process. Yeah, though. yeah, yeah. Like, you shouldn't be like, oh, great, you just killed a kid for nothing. Like, <laughs> you should never kill kids. I'm not advocating for killing your children. Life insurance or not. <laughs> yeah, so... And that was still at the age of 38 that he he took out that $45,000 life insurance policy on his son, Joey, and another younger son as well. And then he murdered Joey. And it turns out that Joey had been reported missing, was found in a rubble at a demolition site. The cause of death could not be determined. But Callinger later admitted to drowning him. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so that's... That's what happened there. But good on you, insurance company, for refusing to honor that claim. Exactly. Um, And then, so all this shit's going on, he asks his 13-year-old son, Michael... Well, he didn't ask. Sorry. Let me repeat this. While all this is going on, he tells his 13-year-old son, Michael, of his orders from God to murder young boys and sever their genitals and asked for his son's help, and his son complied with enthusiasm. Oh, my gosh. 
so yeah, that began in 1974 in November, and he and Michael went on a crime spree that spanned from Philadelphia, Baltimore, and New Jersey. Over the next six weeks, they robbed, assaulted, and sexually abused four families, gaining entrance to each house by pretending to be salesmen. And on January 8, 1975, they continued their spree in Leonia, New Jersey. Using a pistol and a knife, they overpowered and tied up the three residents. Then, when others entered the home, they were forced to strip and were bound with cords from lamps and other appliances. And all of this culminated in the killing spree, or in the killing of 21-year-old nurse Maria Fashing, the eighth person to arrive. When she refused to follow Callender's orders, he responded by stabbing her in the neck and back. Another of the residents, still bound, managed to get outside and cry for help. Neighbors saw her and called the police. By the time they arrived, the Callengers had fled, using the city bus as their getaway vehicle and dumping their weapons and a bloody shirt along the way. So I don't know about you, but when creepy little salespeople walk up to my door, <laughs> hell no. No. I'm glad I live where I do. I live right on the main road, so ain't nobody trying to stop and peddle nothing. <laughs> but I mean, you have to think about it. They had this thought through. Like, they were like, we're going to pretend to be salesmen. Right. Right. We're not really going to sell anything, but we're going to fucking kill people. Yeah, we're just going to go and traumatize people and tie them up with a lamp cord and... I feel like the nurse being killed was kind of like, I don't think they really necessarily intended to kill her, but I think at that point they were like, because what did they say? She was the eighth person to arrive at this house. Yeah. They're probably, how many people is going to be walking up in this house while I'm trying to torture these people and terrorize them? Yeah. She honestly sounded like she was in the wrong place, wrong time kind of thing. Right. Exactly. But this thing from Radford said that before this, they murdered a 10-year-old Puerto Rican kid. Uh, They tortured him to death and then cut off his genitals. Then they forced their way into homes, you know, where they would break in. Joseph would sexually abuse the women. And then it just led into more stealing things, performing sexual acts on the people, and then it led to killing this nurse. So, they were just kind of... Just terrible people? Off the reins there. Started out with kids, went to adults, (sighs) things got messy, and... Clearly. Yeah. So, the police investigated Callinger after gathering the bloody shirt and eyewitness testimony that he and his son had been seen in the area. They soon found out about Callinger's history of domestic violence, Joseph Jr.'s unsolved death, and a series of arsons targeted against the buildings he owned. Callinger and his son were arrested on kidnapping and rape charges in 1972. Callinger was eventually charged with three counts of murder for his son Joseph Jr., Maria Fashing, and a neighborhood boy. Callinger pleaded insanity, claiming God had told him to kill. He was found sane and sentenced to life in prison on October 14, 1976. 
While in jail, he had scored 82 on an IQ test and was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, and state psychiatrists recommended that he be supervised with his family. So, here we are, all these years later, he finally does have some kind of diagnosis, and that way, that could be the beginning of whatever treatment they offer. Yeah, because he clearly wasn't getting the right treatment before. Exactly. So... While he was in prison, he made several suicide attempts. In March of 1977, he set himself on fire. In April 1977, he assaulted a fellow inmate and set fire to his cell block. And because of his suicidal and violent behavior, he was transferred to a mental hospital in Trenton, New Jersey. There, he tried to kill another inmate and slashed another inmate's throat in an unprovoked attack. He was then placed in solitary confinement. He finally died of heart failure on March 26, 1996 at SCI Crescent. He spent the last 11 years of his life on suicide watch. That's insane. And suicide watch is a lot. Like, I know... Do they put I, you in a, Is that like where they put you in a padded room type of deal or... No? Um, not necessarily. Like when I worked at a prison... We had basically a pickle suit, and because you're basically naked, um, and they put you in this pickle suit. It was green and soft. I mean, nothing, nothing crazy. Didn't have any rope strings hanging off of it or anything. Like your arms weren't in a straight jacket or anything like that. But that's basically all you have is you have that, and then you're just put in a room with nothing in there so like no reading material no nothing and you have a camera in the room where the officer could watch you and then you also have to get up and do like visual checks too so you're like you're walking and making your laps you have to stop peeping on them and it's a whole thing like you can't even get a normal like lunch tray they would bring you bag lunch so you didn't get any utensils you got like milk you got your food that was it and it's a lot because you have to watch them constantly so for him to be on you know suicide watch for 11 years ugh I'm not even gonna that sounds terrible first of all to be in a room with absolute I would go insane in a room with nothing yeah it was it was not fun but I mean I, I guess you could say he made Life in prison fun with trying to kill himself and setting yeah, fires. Certain, and Yeah, he's still starting fires and... I don't know, man. Clearly still not getting the assistance and needs that I mean, he requires. Uh, but I actually have a YouTube interview with him. And I own no rights to any of this. Please don't come and get me. Uh, <laughs> This was, I actually found out about him through TikTok. Ooh. So, this was apparently a clip that someone had posted on TikTok and TikTok banned it. Again, I own no rights or anything to any of this coming from YouTube. So, here we go. From town to town, state to state, stalking their victims, kidnapping, raping, then murdering them. What would you do if you got out of here? I would probably do the same thing all over again. What would you do? Try to murder everyone on the planet Earth. Joseph Killinger, a brutal serial killer. 
We'll be seeing more of him tonight, too. Here at the State Hospital for the Criminally Insane, just outside Scranton, Pennsylvania. I'm a patient person, got a good listening ear, and try to help people. You're patient, with a good ear, and you try to help people? Yes. When you're not trying to murder them? Yes. When Callinger's reign of terror ended, three were dead, including his 14-year-old son. You murdered your own son? Yes, I did. Why did you do that? He was a sacrifice. I was to murder three million people on planet Earth. And he was a sacrifice to see if I could murder one of my own. At the end of murdering all the people on Earth, I was going to murder my own family and then take my own life and become God. What do you think of the death penalty? I'm opposed to it. The state has no right to take your life, but you can murder other people? I don't think anyone has a right to take the life. Except you? When I'm under hallucination, I do. These voices from God, these hallucinations, do you still experience them? Yes, I do. Often? Often. Do you ever feel violent? Yes, I do. What do you feel like doing? Killing people. You still feel like killing people? Yes. Describe the feeling that you get when you feel like killing people. Well, last March 11th, I was hallucinating, and I took a razor blade and I cut a man's throat. Here in the hospital? Here in the hospital. Do you think you'd murder me, Joe? Yes. That's gruesome, Joe. That's horrible. Yes, it is. And you don't blame me if I say I hope you never get out of this place. I hope I never do either. So his son was a sacrifice. And he was going to become God. And he'd do it all over again. No regrets. Wow. And he feels like he's completely justified while he's under hallucinations. He sees absolutely no problem with that. No problem. But he's also opposed to the death penalty because nobody has the right to take a life. But he can when he is under uh, hallucination. Okay. Yeah, so... That's the kind of crazy we're dealing with, people. Meanwhile, his son Michael... Uh was judged to be under his father's control, and he was sentenced to a reformatory, and upon his release at age 21, he moved out of state and changed his name. Do not blame him. One bit. I just think it's kind of crazy that they were like, yeah, you're under your father's control, yet some of the stuff that I've read, it sounds like he was more than happy to help. But maybe if he didn't help, he would have gotten beat, tortured, who knows what by his dad. Right, because he did, you know, his dad did have such a history of domestic violence and abuse and everything else imaginable. Um, and plus he was like 12, 13 years old at the time. Yeah. So. Would he have mm-hmm. really understood what he was doing at that age? I don't know. I would like to think that even at, you know, 12 and 13, even if your parents told you to do something, you still I think at that age you have a gut feeling that's like, mm, this ain't right, homie. We shouldn't do this. We shouldn't hurt these people. They're screaming, they're crying, they're begging for their lives. I, so, I mean, there would have to be some kind of control aspect there. Unless he is just as deranged as his father. And now he's walking free among us. So Yeah. 
Um, Flora Retta Schreiber, the author of the best-selling book, Sybil, interviewed Callinger in jail in 1976. The interview was the basis for a book on the case, which was published by Simon and Schuster under the title, The Shoemaker, The Anatomy of a Psychotic in 1983. The book was later part of a Son of Sam lawsuit brought by one of the victim's families as Callinger received royalties for the book. A judge awarded the family earnings from not only Callinger, but Schreiber and Simon and Schuster as well, leaving Schreiber nearly $100,000 in personal debt due to expenses of the book's research, including phone calls to Callinger in prison, which totaled $1,200 per month for several years. A later appellate panel awarded only Callinger's royalties to the families, which, good on them. Yeah. Like... You know, when I worked in a prison, we had inmates that would draw and do crafts and they could put these up for sale and people who worked at the prison could buy them, things like that. That money went on their books. And I guess it all just depends on like where your moral compass lies. Mm-hmm. Like I was approached by a sex offender that said he had some children's coloring pages that he had collared and had for sale and he wanted me to buy one and i said absolutely not i don't think it's normal for you know a 40 year old chomo to be selling children's pictures that he's collared for people to buy like not doing it but then there were people like i had one and it was super funny he had kind of a crazy eye and he was an old lifer and he's like i ain't trying to get rich just trying to make my life comfortable while i'm still here and i was like i feel yeah he was a phenomenal artist Hmm. did nothing but pencil drawings oh wow great pretty great but like in this this is like a mass distribution of a book yeah he should not be getting the money off that no, um, and because he's the one that committed all these crimes, and you know, it's sick that the family's names are probably in the book, the victim's names are in the book, and he's making money off of the things that he did. I don't think that's yeah, right. Yeah, I don't think that's right at all, and I don't even know how that slipped under a judge's nose. Right. Really. I mean, yeah. it, eventually it didn't, but still. So... Um, adding to that, Michael Corda, who was an editor at Simon & Schuster, said that for many years he received a Christmas card from Callinger in jail, and Schreiber herself grew very close to Callinger during the writing process, and the two exchanged regular letters and phone calls until Schreiber's death in 1988. I mean, I, I understand, like, having a pen pal... I don't get having pen pals in jail. Why? I mean, I understand she wanted to write a book to do whatever. You want to learn more about a serial killer. You want to do this. But, I mean, this sounds like it got pretty close and personal. I mean, yeah, it's a whole thing. Like, there's websites set up just for you to find a prison pen pal. Like... Totally off topic, but I came across a TikTok of a girl who went to some website like prisoninmates.com and she found a pen pal and 
like she flashed up all these traditional like wedding pictures and it said you know the wedding my family wanted me to have and then it showed pictures of her with an inmate and a ceremony and she got married to an inmate that was a pen pal that's and insane her tiktok is all about things my you know con husband sends me <laughs> from prison oh my god yeah it's I don't understand it either. Like, it's a whole... It's a whole weird thing. It's a whole... Like... Weird thing. It makes more sense for your family to write you in prison. Not for you to find a love mm -hmm. through an inmate. That's... Mm-hmm. Gives me the heebie-jeebies. Tell me about it. Would you write a serial killer, though? <sighs> no. Because that's terrifying. Isn't it, though? Yeah, I couldn't do it. No. I couldn't do it. I would, though. I think it would be very, mm -hmm. very cool to do, like, an in-person interview with them. I think that would be really cool. But they would have to guarantee that, like, <laughs> this time, this fucker's not going to find out who I am, where I live, what I do, but none see, of that. you don't like Silence of the Lambs, and that's what the whole movie was about. Okay, Clarice. Throw in shade. Lecture. It could have just been so much better. But I mean, that that's the crazy you're dealing with though. Like even in the movie, which I know it's a movie, okay. But like even in the movie, like Lecter like bit a dude and cut his face off and put on the officer's uniform so it looked like his face had been like tore up from the floor up, and then he gets in the ambulance. And he rips this dude's face off his face. And he's like, ha, 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 it's me. Yeah. And then he got out. And I love the end. I'm having an old friend for dinner. I mean, that's... There we go. Yeah. That is pretty good. <laughs> but anyways, uh, don't ask your kids to help you commit murders. Please. Even if it's convenient. Because they're tiny and fast. Don't do it. And as always, stay safe. Don't get killed. Deuces. Peace. Thanks for listening to Two Jane Does. I'm Emily. And I'm Kayla. Remember to tune in every Monday now at 8 p.m. as we dive into a new case. Please follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, and leave us a good review. Catch us on Facebook at Two Jane Does, where you can find updates on our episodes and links to our other social media accounts. If you have any cases that you want us to cover and go into detail with, you can leave us a message there.